Welcome to Season 2, Episode 39 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Blake Butler. Blake is a writer and editor. His new novel, Annex, is out now through Apocalypse Party. Welcome to the show, Blake. Hi, thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. How's life in hot Baltimore? Oh, it's it's rolling forward. I don't know. I don't go out much, but when I do, uh, my skin gets bright red. So I try to, I'm trying to use it as a motivator to stay inside and do work, but uh, I don't know. It's it, it could be, Baltimore's not as bad as plenty of other places, so it's fine. <laughs> And you came from Atlanta. Um, what made you move to Baltimore? Uh, l- big life change. Uh, lost, lost my basically lost my life um, uh, in so many words without going deeply into it. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up there. My family basically, my parents both died, and then my wife died, and I moved on. I, I had to leave the city that I grew up in. So. Um, uh, yeah, and then and so I wanted to be somewhere where I don't have any context. Basically, after living in one place my whole life, you know, uh, it's nice to live in a like kind of strange place. And I met someone I live with now here, and uh, that's what brought me here. Okay, wow, that's pretty huge. Yeah, it's been a, the last few years have been a kind of uh, nuts. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, my whole life just got upended. It, about two years ago, but I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing, I'm, I'm here and rebuilding kind of like a new, new life, basically. I mean, there's parts of me that are still me, but, um, wow. Okay. Well, I hope you're doing all right. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry. I didn't mean to start the podcast on a down note, but that's just, it's like reality to me at this point. So, yeah. Okay. Well, what are the best things to do in Baltimore? Uh, this, the harbor is beautiful. Uh, there's a nice body of water. There's parks. There's like weird, there's a good art scene. I feel I'm just now starting to realize that as the pandemic closes, um, where, you know, the Wham city stuff is here and the, I don't know, there's like a spirit of art that I always associated with Baltimore. That's kind of coming back out. Um, so for me, for me, it's all new because I really don't know that many people here. So I, I'm kind of enjoying being a, a lurker or a strange person on the on the perimeter and kind of seeing what happens. The first time I came across you was after I finished 2666 and I found nothing to fill that huge void. Um, someone directed me to your book, The 300 Million. And before we talk about that book, do you want to tell us a bit about how you got into writing? Yeah, Um well, I was a computer science major as a, as a in college, went to Georgia Tech. It was like right down the street from where I grew up. So uh, I was learning coding. I think I, I always liked computers and I liked coding and I thought coding could a, be a creative vehicle for me or something. But then as I studied it, studied the, we learned like pseudocode, um, just like logic basically. Um, and I don't know, I got sick of it at one point and, and then, um, 
I was reading, uh, I asked for Infinite Jest for Christmas and I had been a big reader as a kid, but I hadn't really read. I'd kind of stopped reading. I was like, what? Nothing really strikes me. I didn't know where to find books or whatever. It was before the internet was really like feeding you. Um, yeah, and I read Infinite Jest and then like got up in the middle of my physics class while reading it and was like, I, I don't want to do what I thought I was going to do. And uh, just uh, uh, changed majors and started writing. Like I pretty, I write, started writing a novel like almost immediately. The first thing I wanted to do was write a novel. So been doing that pretty much ever since. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Um, I love that book, 300 Million. It's basically, it's about a cop named Flood. He, he's investigating this murderer named Gretch Gravy and he's kind of a cult leader and murderer. Um, and the book is broken up in, into different parts, the same as 2066, like the part about, you know, um, Flood, for example. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that book and what were your influences writing it? Yeah, I, uh, well, Bologna, I mean, 2666 was definitely like the immediate impulse for me. I, I think I read the first Bologna I read was the Savage Detectives and I like, it was really popular at the time and it was, you know, a big buzz book. And I, I don't know, I read it and I was like, I was like, maybe it's just, uh, immediate hater stuff off the top. I, my, our reaction, my reaction at the time was like, I don't like this and I don't understand why Bologna is so popular. Um, but a friend of mine was like, well, you need to read 2666 to really understand what he's doing. And, uh, he sent it to me almost as a challenge. And I, and I think I received the book and was like, you know what I'm going to do is like rewrite this book or write, I was going to write a review of the book of every sentence in the book. Um, but as I, I and it was going to be very critical and like, I, I don't know, I went in with the, with the idea of like this, I'm going to take this book down, but as I read it, I mean, I, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. And, and so uh, I read it and then I was like, okay, I'm not going to tear it down. But like, also this book isn't what I thought it was going to be. I, you know, based on the description, I, I think I had, had been hyped up big time. Like the, the fourth part is all these brutal killings and, and all, I don't know. I had this after I read the book, basically I was like, I'd like, I like 2666, but I also was interested in, in what it could have been based on the idea. Um, so I stole the, structure of five books kept the kind of relative length of them kind of also even kept the style he was using in each one and used that as a model to like write what I wanted my version of 2666 to be um yeah and that's 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 where it came from and, and you know and since then I've read most of Bolaño and I, and I really like him but I, it's funny to me like I don't know I've, I feel like I'm a kind of person that like hates something for a long time and then realizes that it's actually an inspiration as a Jungian like shift there or something. And they are wildly different books. Like they're, they're not the same in any way. And I guess your book is um, like, in a way, I think Bologna's book, there is that part about the crimes, um, which is pretty dark, but the rest of the book is fairly, in a way it's fairly lighthearted. Like there's lots of elements where um, it's not a, it's not a really challenging book, I don't think. Um, I think your book is a really challenging book because I think you you go quite a lot darker. I think you go quite a lot deeper. And I think even the the shifting, um, I guess the shifting narratives and the fact that Flood gets so uh, involved in this case, I think makes it a much more, um, it's almost a, a book that is, I found a much more difficult book to read than something like 2666. Oh. That, uh, 
that's cool. I'm glad you found it going deeper. Yeah, I think that was my impulse was like, I understand what he's getting at with 2066, but I did want the, I, I wanted it to go deeper. And I, and I think um, the original draft, like the first part of the book is kind of this cryptic, very language heavy uh, thing that in the, in the published version has like people commenting on it as the text of the, of, of the killer. But before that, I, I realized like um, I needed to balance how dark and cryptic it was versus something that would draw people forward. So I think I kind of, um, I, I, I knew it had to go deeper and I also wanted it to start, I wanted to kind of like push everyone out of the book that was reading it that wouldn't be willing to go there with me. So I think it fit, kind of starts at a higher pitch and keeps you there to kind of ward off people who aren't going to want it. Um, as kind of like an inversion of the, I don't know, I hate when books are, or anything is really like marketed and they say like, this is not for the faint of heart instead of just like letting the thing breathe and letting you figure out whether you want it or not. And so, um, yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks for being willing to go there. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what else I have to say about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, let's move on to your new book, Annex. It's set a long time in the future. It kind of revolves around, a, I guess, a coded kind of computer text, and it gives a secret history of the future world, I suppose, and of our world in a way as well. It's a really hard book to blurb, um, and I can see how your computer science background probably came into it too. But do you want to tell us a bit more about the structure and the setup of the book? Yeah, so I mean, I I wrote it. I wrote most of the first draft of it in a a, a summer when I was alone. Um, my wife had gone to Poland uh, to do some research, and so I had this summer where I was living alone. I was working. Um, I was working a job where I could like get most of my job work done in in like one day a week. So I was. I decided I was going to spend the entire time she was gone writing two books one during the day called annex and one at night called abyss both with two a's um and i read this history of uh ulysses right before this i was reading uh it's called let's write over uh it's called the most the most dangerous book the um yeah it's the story of the publication of ulysses and the censorship of ulysses and i thought um, wow, Ulysses came out a while ago and like pushed all these boundaries to the point of legal proceedings and being banned and all this. And, and I don't really know where that legacy ends. Like, I, I think censorship is interesting because um, things that are violent and overturning and scary to people that read other kinds of books, uh, it feels like, porn. you know, it's called pornography. It's called all this other stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in the legacy of Ulysses as a as an exploration. I've always been a writer who's less interested in narrative and story and more interested in where the text can take you. And so, um, yeah, so I decided to write this book annex during the day. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I, um, it, the printed version begins with kind of an algorithm. It, it, the book is supposed to be an algorithm and it's supposed to be written in this kind of like grandiose, complicated, messy language. That's kind of a religious, like a religious text. Uh, um, so um, 
So a lot of the book is just written from the, I, I almost thought of it as a performance. Uh, I typed the book kind of from beginning to end, um, at least the format of it. And um, it all just kind of came out of me. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a, in general, I'm a big reviser. I must have revised 300 million, like 50, 60, 80, 100 times from beginning to end. And this book, I almost didn't revise like probably 90% of it um, from that first. So I think of it as a performance and I think of it as a, like a, um, replicating of a, of a, a revelatory religious scripture that um, uh, you can already see how it's hard to talk about this book because it's the, there's a lot that, that happens and it's kind of all crammed into this like hyper compressed um, structure that's being the the algorithm part of the book is supposed to be that you are not reading the book uh, it's compiling in your brain as code and I think that uh, is a nice comparison in that the book is very difficult to read even though the narratives are in there and and like bent but uh uh yeah i almost think of it as like a bathroom book that's eating your brain as you read it and you don't realize um or as you don't read it too uh, i don't care if people read this book or not uh, but uh, um they can <laughs> i don't know sorry it's a whole lot of stuff at once i've never spoken aloud about this book before till now so thank you for asking <laughs> It is kind of like having a like USB stick inserted in your brain and just downloading all the information off it. And so I see what you mean, how it's just complete, completely compressed and digging out the stories within the book. And the book has so many stories in it um, that I think it's a kind of book where um, that I'm going to have to go back to. And I think you're probably right. It's probably something you can pick up and put down and just, you know, dig your way through it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal, even though it's meant to to, to reward the work. Uh, the reader that does the work will be rewarded because there's a lot layered into there. I don't know, like, you know, Joyce is a good example of like, there's these, he has these sentences in Ulysses that are like 70 characters long, one word, but it contains the entire history of uh, Dublin or whatever. Uh, I don't know a lot about the cryptography of Ulysses at this point, but um yeah, I think I, I think it's okay to skip past, and it's also okay to read it as, as if I don't know. Uh, in, in comparing the like coded stuff, I I've told this. I uh, this is like one of my formative experiences was like as a kid having a printer that like malfunctioned and printed off all this like gibberish text basically, and I was obsessed as a kid with like trying to figure out the meaning of it. And I think like all texts have a meaning that's hidden to everyone that tries to read it, but every reading of it changes the text. So this book is like meant to allow you to do that. It's almost like a Rorschach, but also it contains deep layers of cryptography on top of it. Um, if that may, I don't know. It sounds, I, I, anytime I try to explain it, it sounds like I'm like hyperbolizing the process, but that really is like, um, I want a book that's not, doesn't have to be read the way a normal book is um because like it feels like the the big reaction for people have now is like let's write shorter books more realistic clearer books and i'm like what if we just wrote books that are are art objects that can do things by themselves and you don't have to read them um i want to ask you on that as well and as i said i read this pretty quickly um and i think it's a book i need to go back to because i feel like there's a whole dimension of the book i probably missed but are there some secrets within that cryptography, I suppose, of the of the book? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there is the, the, there is an overarching narrative and, and all of it is, is employed, is employed in a, in a particular fashion. So like, I think one of the stories that came out to me that as a guiding principle is like, this book is written by the son of Satan and it's meant to be uh, a stand. It's meant to have replaced the religious texts of the time. So, uh, and in this world, the um, it's extremely post panopticon like megaplex like the where everyone's incarcerated in their own memories and minds and they don't even realize that they're being kind of farmed and used and milked by their spirit which is all being manipulated by this algorithm that kind of a, you know like the algorithm which which was the last thing i wrote in the book and i ended up realizing it was the entire structure of it contained the entire structure of the book but the book the algorithm is meant to start before the big bang and kind of explain all of the elements that are alive in the universe and how they radiate amongst the populations there. So uh, you could pull it out. You could pull that algorithm out and kind of think about it along it as a spectrum, or you could, I mean, there's tons of characters and narratives, you know, there's, there's major themes um, where, the there's you know there's a there's a character named Hanready who's in charge of this kind of um court the corporate thing that keeps people in locked in their minds and i don't know they're kind of like like i said they're farming people for things so, but there are people that exist in the government that are outside of that so you could follow his role and he kind of has like a long monologue about his history of how he rose through fascism and uh top 40 music production and those that made him the ultimate person to be like the ruler of a spiritual complex of the world. Um, and then there's some, there's another character who's like a rogue fo force who's trying to undo him. And it's unclear. I mean, a lot of the things don't resolve, but they keep bumping back into each other. And that to me is kind of how life works. Like life isn't a clear narrative. There's just shitloads of narratives all throughout it. So to me, even though this book is probably my most unreadable book, it's also my most accurate Um it almost feels like someone's taken the source code from the matrix movies and plugged that into your brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want, I want, I want it to work like that. Like there's a source code that everything in the world can be derived from. And it's not the, it's not the religious, you know, cause like we have all these religions in the world and all of them think they're the only religion. And I, and I, and so it's almost like inventing a, a text that could be the foundation of a religion, even though it admits all throughout it, that it's misleading you and it's, um, but it also, it, while it's misleading you, it's also malfunctioning, like this algorithm isn't, isn't written in real code. And it's, uh, the, if Satan wrote this book, then it's, uh, it's full, I don't know, the book's full of holes, it's full of, like, exits out and in, and uh, it's full of filters and, uh, like, unconscious imagery. So it's, it's, it's exploring a terrain that I think exists and binds us in kind of an unconscious world. But it's, people find it hard to like interact with that in anything other than surrealism and sci-fi. And to me, I want all of it at once. I, it's like a book of ideas more than anything, I guess. Um, the book has a whole lot of typographical elements. Um, the graphic design of the book, as you said before, it's, it's pretty much an art object, but it makes the, the text itself even more intriguing. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the, the design of the book? <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I said, I wrote the algorithm last, but the algorithm kind of like spans the beginning of the and uh, end of the book and kind of wraps it around. Um, and then there are all these kind of uh, 
many algorithms that that algorithm runs, which is something I also figured out afterwards, but uh, it kind of like, you know, it runs Genesis, it runs Exodus, it runs Revelation as many codes within the overall code. Um, and those, like the Bible, tell the story of the building of the universe, though in this world, we're so far beyond, you know, like it begins in a, in a universe that's probably like 500 years ahead of where we are, maybe even longer than that. And so it, it kind of is trying to tell the story of how we got from the present day right now to this 500 years in the future, while also trying to tell how they got, how we got from pre big bang to the present moment. So the timeline shift and there are programs within it that, that tell narratives of different timelines and it's all supposed to kind of like refer to the cyclical nature of the universe, but also where that can get. It, it's trying to look beyond the edges of our reality to what exists outside of our reality and what the function of our reality within the other realities could be. Um, uh, so there, there's almost like, a, um, I don't know, what's that plate that they launched into space that contained? Uh, oh, that's right. With the Mozart or whatever it was on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of it as 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 an object that could be that shot into a different dimension, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, actually. Um, we talked before we started recording about Apocalypse Party, your publisher, and how you went over to them with this book. Um, do you want to tell us about that story? Yeah, so um, I, I mentioned to you before, like, I kind of wrote this book to please myself like this is the this is kind of like me at the time that i wrote it trying to indulge everything that i've been doing and and bring it into one essence and i and, and at the end i realized how um well it's it, like you said it's difficult to read it kind of uh, it, it doesn't give a shit about what who whether it's being read or not and and in that way i knew from the beginning that it wasn't gonna you know i, I didn't send it to my the pre publisher of my or the editor of my previous books that I had done a lot of work with and I didn't know where to send it. In fact, I had sat on my hard drive and I just, I think I had fantasies of like maybe one day printing one copy that I could like send out and like let live as just one copy. But um, I don't know. I, the more time I spent with it, I was like, I think this book is a dream book for me. It's like, it feels like, you know, I, I've talked about this before with people but I have this memory of inspect the cartoon Inspector Gadget. I don't know if you know yeah, about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I loved so Inspector there's the, Gadget. <laughs> there's the girl in that book, Penny, and it has this electronic. Yeah. I had a huge crush on her. Did you, yeah, me too. Me yeah. too, sort of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. She was like, say, you know, running everything in the background while the titular character thinks he's the he's like a Don Quixote or whatever. But I was always obsessed with this book that she had because she could control him with it. She could control. She could manifest things out of thin air with it. She could break locks with it, you know? And I was like, I think this is my attempt to write that book without technology. You know, I want this book to be a piece of technology, even though the only technology it uses is language. And I think we forget that language is technology and that it doesn't have to be used just to reflect our, the world we're in. It can be used as a tool to unpack other things. And so, yeah, all that to say, like, uh, I basically one day I was like, how am I ever going to find a publisher for this book? Should What would happen if I did? And I kind of like tweeted, like, if uh, I'm looking for a publisher for this really confusing book, 
if anyone's interested, please hit me up. And a few did. And one of them was been at Apocalypse Party. And uh, I've been a fan of Apocalypse Party. I love what they, the kind of style that they bring out. You know, they, they do like stuff that doesn't fit anywhere. And so in, in that way, it was a perfect fit. And I thought, might as well. You know, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a, a, a almost dangerous move for me right now because I feel like I'm my career. Well, I don't even like the word career, but my like life is like I told you at the beginning, my life has changed and, and, and with it, everything else. And so I'm like, this almost feels like something that I had to just like allow to be somewhere. And so uh, I'm I feel lucky that I found a publisher that was like able to read it and say, I see what you're doing even. And I trust you, you know? Uh, and so uh, I've done a lot of books with small presses and I'm excited to have a new one where, you know, it's just a different process. I guess being on a small press, you have more freedom. Very cool. Yeah, I think they're doing a great job. Some of their work that I've read has been just really out there. And um, yeah, I love these small presses who are just doing exciting work. Same here. We need, I mean, I don't know what, what the, I don't know what literature looks like out without small press. And in fact, from the beginning, that seems to be the case. So Yeah. Um, I have a few gaps in my reading of your books. So I've read the 300 million. I've read Alice Knott and Annex now. Um, do you want to take us on a little bit of a quick tour of the rest of your books and the ones that I should get into next? <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm, good question. Uh, I guess the, the first one I would say is the only nonfiction book I've written, um, called nothing, um, is a memoir about my experience with insomnia, which I had basically since a little kid until I still have it, I have more under more control now than I have in a long time. But, um, yeah, I have a memoir about not, uh, about, insomnia that's also kind of it also kind of like weirdly breaks down into code and prompt base at the end but it's mostly non-fictional and um that'd probably be the first place i would suggest and that came out in 2011 with a, uh, about six months after uh, a novel called there is no year both of those were on harper perennial and uh that was there is no year was probably my first big like this is my debut novel even though i published collection of stories called Scorch Atlas before that and a novella called Ever before that. I think There Is No Year and Nothing, both being released in the same year on Harper was kind of like a, um, yeah, a stamp for me in a, in, a, in a moment where I realized that I could publish at a large press. I don't think I ever thought that a major press would want to do my stuff. And um, so am I missing anything? I, oh, I had a book called Sky Saw on, on Tyrant Books, which is now uh, either defunct or in transition uh, since the publisher uh, passed away. But um, yeah, and then I think that's, uh, I've, I've edited some books and some anthologies and, and done some co collaborative work um, in books with a couple of people. But those are, I think, I, I think that hits all of my personal stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, can I ask you what you're currently working on? Uh, I just finished my second memoir, which is um, about the death of my wife that I told you about. It was a, um, a, a basically about my relationship with her and how that came to be. Uh, that's how uh, just my agent has that book. And so that's my next one. And I'm working on uh, um, in the meantime, while I'm kind of like seeing where that book's going to land, I'm, I've been revising this. Uh, I wrote a, I wrote a book, a novel that was supposed to be an impossible script for a movie when I, uh, in like 2010, I wrote this script uh, based on a John Zorn um, prompt. Um, 
And uh, I had, I'm going to be publishing that in 2024 with another small press that does really wild stuff inside the castle. And I don't know, I went back and looked at it and was like, I want to do a lot more work on this because it's 10 years old. So it's kind of, I've been rewriting and almost feels like I'm collaborating with myself from 10 years ago because I'm some of it I'm leaving and some of it I'm playing with. And so I have a couple of years before that comes out. So I'm, I'm trying to like make it into the weirdest thing I can in the meantime, I guess. On your memoir, can I just ask you briefly about that? Because I feel like, you know, we've obviously touched on it, but um, do you want to tell us a bit more about your wife and, and that memoir? And how hard is it to write a memoir about that kind of relationship? Yeah, it's really it's really been the hardest thing I've ever done uh, as far as writing is concerned anyway. Um, yeah, so she, she killed herself um, in March of 2020 and was a total shock to me. Uh, and everyone like it was you know kind of a secret and she had kind of a uh, a very secret life that i learned a lot about her after she was gone and so um i'm uh part of it was like therapeutic for me to write because you know it there's so many things at play i'm finding all this information i don't really you know i'm a novelist mainly but i uh, i was just trying to tell myself the story of my own life and to sort of figure it out you know so i was like here's our here are facts uh the the person i'm writing about is not here to offer her perspective but it's what i know of what happened and so uh, it's kind of a look at suicide it's look at and suicidal ideation and depression and trying to see what happened to her and uh what happened to me because i was going through a lot at the time too and how i survived losing her and how i you know how i survived almost losing myself as a result as well um yeah i think a lot of my work deals with intense stuff and messages and 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 deals with it in a, on an assumption that you can handle it and and yet i think there's a lot of unprocessed trauma and 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 violence and and pain in the world and i i really with this book like and maybe it'll never be published. Maybe it's too raw. Maybe it's too much. And maybe in the end, it will just be a document that helped me figure out what happened to me. Um, but I hope that it, it can be more than that. And it can look at kind of these subjects that line are just like riddled throughout the history of art, really. But no one I mean, or it's harder for us to talk about when that breaks down and what and what that really is. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. I I, I, I as a person who's written tons, but very little about myself, I, it's a, it's a, it's a moment of vulnerability for me in a, in a, in a very different way. And, and I, in one hand, I find that exciting. And on the other hand, I find it terrifying. So I'm not, I, I have no idea what will happen with it. We'll see. Okay. Well, I wish you lots of good luck with it. Thank you, Ben. Do you want to talk about some of your gateway books? What were some of the books that really opened the doors of literature for you? <laughs> I've had fun thinking about this since you told me you were going to ask, uh, there, I mean, the first one I would say that's the most obvious as a gateway for me is Naked Lunch, um, just because I remember reading it. Uh, I actually went to a reading as a 16-year-old before I knew what literary poetry, poetry readings were. They were reading Naked Lunch beginning to end. And I, I don't really remember them reading it, but I remember being like, why would there be a book that a group of people want to read out loud together? Um, and I... There's this great bookstore in Atlanta called Acapella Books, which is still there. Um, and they were, they're just like a counterculture bookstore, which as a 16 year old, you know, I walked in, the first shelf is all beats. 
uh and then like they have a shelf about like shoplifting and buy, building pipe bombs and all this shit and i don't know i just felt like a kid in a candy store because um yeah like i told you i grew up as a reader but i didn't hadn't really found my own thing naked lunch for me just like i didn't understand it or or i didn't understand it as i as i re recently re have been rereading re burrows and finding that i understand it more than i thought but yeah i just i think i felt walloped over the head by this thing and like you know there's all this drugs and sex and uh insane descriptions and i thought i didn't know books i didn't know people could do this i didn't know you could make this kind of stuff be on paper um i remember reading in my mom's bathtub when i was like 16 and just feeling like really i, I think that was my first slice of like there's a world outside of this little you know i grew up in the suburbs of of atlanta and uh it was a shock to my system i guess a naked lunch would probably be easily the first and most I, I still consider Burroughs probably one of my biggest influences that way. Um, and I already mentioned Infinite Jest about how that kind of changed my life. I um, And I, I became obsessed with Wallace as a result for a long time. I haven't really reread a lot of Wallace in a, in a while. I can't tell if um, he's a person that I outgrew or if I... I don't know what my Russian had been, but he was really... He was like as a as an obsessive person uh i latched on him big time um and i can i i, I guess i can kind of see my my writing as a, as a marriage of of the kind of um strange madness of burroughs mixed with the logic and the um hyper specific description of of of, of dfw um those are probably the two biggest ones i, I could we could talk more but um yeah, those are the fundamental early ones for me. Okay. Um, what books are you currently reading or have you recently enjoyed or you are looking forward to? Um, I've been reading a lot of Annie Ernaux, uh, who is a um, British uh, memoirist, I guess as a result of like my writing a memoir about uh, Molly, my wife. Um, I wanted to look at people... Uh, I read a lot of like grief mem memoirs and um, reflective memoirs of that. She and she just like I don't know. She's published what seems to be twenty, thirty books, and they're all just uh, changing the way I think about narrative, both as prose fiction and um, memoir. So her, her, she's big, and then. Um, uh Cormac McCarthy is another big influence of mine I know he has two books coming out later this year and everyone's probably nuts for mm -hmm. those but I, I think he's a big deal um he and uh yeah Child of God and Blood Meridian are also two books that were early for me and I I don't know uh he he he's major for me so I'm excited about those but um other things I've read recently I read a book called The, Ch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Josiah Morgan who is um uh kind of writing a response to texas chainsaw massacre which is a fun and bizarre piece that was what one of my more recent great uh loves that, that i read i've gotten back into philosophy this year i don't know I, I think like prose um started to like bore me at some point i'm coming back out of it but Der i've been reading a lot of derrida and uh wittgenstein is another big person for me um so re rereading those guys and um yeah 
what living authors, obviously we mentioned Comac McCarthy, what living authors do you go out and buy their books as soon as they come out? Great question. Uh, Cause I feel like it's harder to do that. I remember going to Barnes and Noble when like a new DFW book would be out and like mm. waiting for them to stock it on the shelf and like coming back day every day. And now I, I don't know, like the internet changed that excitement of launch, but there's still, I definitely still do have uh, those people. Um, Brian Evanson, who you've, we've, we talked about before the show um, and that you've had on recently. Uh, he's another big person for me. And anytime he puts out a new collection, it's an immediate, um, must read and same with dennis cooper who's another big influence for me um we talked briefly about dennis cooper because i haven't read any of his work and he just keeps on coming across everything i read lately he's just on on the back of it or someone's comparing it to him but um do you want me can you tell me a bit more about him yeah i mean he's like an old school um scene uh he came out of the like new narrative scene uh, in LA and where they're kind of breaking up real life and, and, and prose. So I don't know. He, uh, his, I remember the first thing of his I read was a, a five books called the George miles cycle. And um, I don't know. I, I got them at a used bookstore. I picked them up cause they were like, they're, they had weird covers and um, seemed creepy and, uh, I don't know. He's just like, I've never read anyone that describes violence and emotional obsession in a way that he does. He gets into this, like, you know, uh, I think it's uh, on 300 million in particular, he was a huge influence because of, uh, his book, um, the marbled swarm where he, he, he really lets language be a dummy, um, like hides thing in, hides things in language and has more going on beneath the surface. And, and I think that, it's hard to explain what that means sometimes because people are like, what does it mean something's going on beneath the surface of language? But like hearing him talk about how a, a location in one book connects to a location in another book and that's uh, not on the page necessarily, but except in maybe mentioned in passing. And so, I don't know, I like the way he uses cryptic feeling and uses language to embody that. And I don't know, he's just also like one of the most generous, open-minded thinkers so like his he has a blog where he features young writers almost exclusively and uh really archives major experimental and avant-garde work um so he's a champion he's just like a figurehead of experimental writing and and his work lives up to the task of him being that um so yeah i'd recommend uh i mean if you like bolaño then like you'll fall pretty close in um you could read uh, The Marble Swarms, one of my favorites, The George Mills Cycle. And the, uh, he has a book called The Sluts that kind of all takes place on a message board. And, and they're, you don't know what's real and what's not. And it's all about like whether this kid who's gone missing got murdered and for what reason. But it, I don't know. It's like it captures the Internet in a way I don't think a lot of people are able to do. Because um, it's yeah, it's contained within this message board and we don't really use message boards as much. Um yeah, so I don't know, just uh, a legend. He's a legend. Okay, done. That's my homework for today. Pick up some Dennis Cooper <laughs> books. Yeah, I think these days it's I I, I like presses. It's for all the editions. I subscribe. I read. I read. I get every book that they put out, and I I think think they're like a rare, un, unmissable. Like I don't know, they just have really good taste there. And New Directions and Dorothy and 
Um, yeah, I, I feel like the cult of the author uh, as a person is, is kind of rotating out for these like entities, um, at least for me. Um, so yeah, I'll buy anything that those presses put out. I'm trying to think of like other authors. I don't know. It's just so it, there's tons of them, but um, yeah, I don't know. It feels less, it feels much different than the nineties in that way where it was like, Oh, every time uh, Amy Hempel puts out a book, I can't wait to go get it. I think my mind is just so diffuse at this point. And I feel like the conversation of literature is so diffuse that I'm not sure that I know who those people are anymore. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think some of the excitement about that launch day of a book and getting the hard copy in a physical bricks and mortar bookshop. Um, yeah, you don't really get that anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's same as it's everything, you know, like music, like I, I used to like love to have the same album in my CD player for a month and be whether I even like got bored of it or not. And like, you learn something about spending a lot of time with a book. And now everything's so quick, you know, like a book comes out. And even the big the big press ones, the, the publicity has gone in a week and, and you either forget, you read it or, and, and you grab a hold of it uh, uh, through the tail of it uh, and when, as it continues to be talked about or, or it just disappears into the nether. And so it's almost like we're living in this like instant gratification, short attention span, which I, which my instinct is not to lead into that and to instead put out the most discursive, uh, obnoxious, hard to get into book that I can, just because I feel like I'm holding, I, I, I don't like, I don't like it other ways. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Good answer. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Blake Butler. This episode is sponsored by the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia. This is a public service announcement. Due to global supply chain issues, Australian stock of ADHD drug Ritalin is currently in limited supply. We expect supply to return to normal by maybe 2023. This app has been written and authorized by the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia, Canberra. We're back on Me on the Zero. It's time for Blake's Top 10. This is a hard one for me on that same on that same uh, tone because I like I, I used to be the kind of person who's like I have everything organized I have I, I used to keep a list of every DVD I owned and every you know and now I'm like I, I I you mentioned you wanted to talk about top ten and I was like God I'm gonna have to like go through my collection and think about what that was because like Infinite Jest would have been number one in when I was twenty and now I don't even think I'd put it on the list anymore. Um, for me, the easy there's a few easy ones that go on there. Beckett, um, the his trilogy of Malloy, Malone dies in the unnameable. That's he, that to me is probably my favorite um, piece of literature, uh, just because of the size of it and the. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an, a book of ideas. As uh, I feel akin to that, in that he's able to use voice and and, and ideas in a way that that's the the engine of the book rather than the plot, even though, again, there's tons of plots. So yeah, Beckett would be the up there. Um, I mentioned Wittgenstein earlier, the Tractatus, um, which is a book I still don't understand. I, I've, I used to keep it on my bedside table and just read it 
night by night, just like kind of opening it at different places after reading it a few through a few times. And I still, I still, I think I've learned to understand a lot more as time goes on, but I like the relationship of that book being one that I still couldn't like tell you all of what it's about, but I've lived with it. And I think that that's what more so than like something like a book, like infinite jest that was powerful to me. I like books that that you have to live with and you have to like, learn to exist in the world with so both of those do that for me um who top 10 uh another one that does that is pierre guillotat's um tomb for Five Hundred Thousand soldiers which is like uh a book about his experience in the algerian war i think it is um that's just like immersive violence and brutality for 400 pages but i i don't know there's something beautiful about uh, he's a writer that like gets into an ecstatic state and can't kind of, um, you know, it's like a PTSD writing sort of type thing. And I, I don't know. I, I like the way that book forces you to feel terrible. Oh, why do I like books that make me feel terrible? I don't know. <laughs> it's better than naturally feeling terrible. Uh, maybe. Um, uh, one book that stood out to me as a top 10, even though I don't know that I would it's, it's it seems like a funny top 10 book for me but it's called with with the animals um it's by this woman uh Noelle Ravaz um and she kind of uh and in, again invents her own vernacular kind of similar to what I was saying about Dennis's um The Marbled Swarm it's written in this like really broken English and it's about this couple that lives out on a farm and they uh the narrator's an asshole man talking about his wife who he calls vulva uh and it's just like it's almost got this clockwork orange dialect to it that's like invented dialect but and it has a very clear linear story but for some reason the way that she tells it is so interesting like i could just read those lang the language parts over and over again even knowing the story um so that would be on there uh the recognitions by gaddis would be on there um Thomas Bernard's correction would probably be on there. Um, I love Bernard uh, or extinction by him. Also his last book um, live blog by uh, the person I live with uh, who I met uh, a long time ago and I've always loved her book. And now I consider it a top 10 book, not only for the sentimentality of that. She's someone I care about a lot, but um I think it's an achievement. Uh, I don't know if you know about about it, but she kind of writes down every thought, idea, and thing she does for what uh, turns out to be a six month period, and it's a doorstop book in that way. Um, and What's it called like, again? It's called Live Blog. Live Blog. Okay. So she's like live blogging her life. She's writing down everything that happens, uh, and during a really messed up part of her life, um, and. I don't know, it has a great sense of humor, unlike every other book I put on this. This book has a great sense of humor uh, and, and it like keeps you coming along with it because her the way she tells the story of her life is so <laughs> unlike anyone ever would describe their life. So it, it's really interesting. Uh, perform, again, a performance book, too, because she's like, you know, like literally writing it down as it happens and keeping it up. And um, and it was written online. So and it now exists in book form from Tyrant Books. Um, but it's, I don't know, I just think it's a miracle. I think uh, all these books I kind of like think of are like no one else that, besides the person that wrote them could have written them. And it's almost a feat that they did. Um, 
so that would be on there and uh let's see how many is that that's a bunch Sutri by mccarthy would be up there um a recent another re probably the most recent one for me is a uh, melina by Ing ingborg bachman uh which N new directions put out uh I hadn't read a book that knocked me on my ass like that in a long time. And I could, uh, it's another one. I would be hard for me to describe what happens other than um, my memory of it. I don't know. Uh, that, that, that feels like more than 10 is that I'm probably, I, I feel like I could list like 30 books that should be in my top 10. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you have given me quite a shopping list today, so that's oh, great. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up. I'll get you, let you get back to the sun in Baltimore. Um, but before we go, do you want to tell us where we can buy Annex and your other books and where we can get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Annex is from Apocalypse Party. So Google Apocalypse, I think it's apocalypsepartypress.com, but you might want to Google it. And um, you can buy it there and probably through other bookstores you can find links to my other books on my website blakebutler.org so that'd probably be the easiest way if you don't just want to google it but. brilliant okay well thank you so much for joining me it's been great talking with you thanks ben and i appreciate it a lot thanks once again to blake butler Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at beyondzeropod, and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message, and we'll play it on the show. We'll be back with the next episode next week. <laughs>